Good morning. Welcome to church. I'm so, I'm so excited to see all of you. I just love joining together as family to worship God, to to celebrate, to to uh, to put aside the stuff that we're going through in the week, and just to say, hey, you know what? Let's just focus and be reminded of why we're here. But it's a James four. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. What an encouraging set of verses. Right? Pastor Mark and Pastor Chris are going to come back, and all you're going to be like, man, Paul was so encouraging. He read the most encouraging verses in the Bible. But as I was reading this yesterday, I was reminded that I'm broken. These verses are a reminder that I'm broken. You're broken. We, we make mistakes all the time. And we get, we get so distracted by all the things that are going wrong, along in our lives, all the things that are happening in our life, that, that we forget to focus on what we need to focus on. Because my identity does not come from me. Your identity does not come from you. Because we're all broken, but Jesus. But Jesus. That's our identity. And so yesterday as I was reading these verses, God just said to me, he said, when you focus on me, when you focus on me, everything else will eventually become clearer. Because there's things that happen in life that I don't understand, that I don't get. But as we focus on God, those things can become clear. They might become clear tomorrow. They might become clear when we're 70 or 100. But as we focus on God, those things will become clear, and I believe that's a promise. And so we're going we're gonna to go back into worship, but, but as we do, I just want all of us to posture our hearts and posture our minds and posture our souls and just to say, you know what, God, what do you want? God, what do you want? Yeah, these things are going on in my life, but God, what do you want? God, we don't want to put you in a box. Because when we put you in a box, we miss out on what you're doing outside of our box. And so just as a family, as we go back into worship here, let's just... God, I pray that we would focus on what you want. That we would hear from you and that you would have your way. God, have your way this morning. We, we are on the edge of something. We are on the edge of something. I believe, I believe God's going to open up something new for most of us in here. God is going. There's some, of, there's some of us in here that have been believing for something for a very long time. 
We've been waiting and we've been asking God. And we've been saying, God, I want a new thing from you. I want something different. I don't want things to be the same. And I don't know where everybody's at. And for some of us, something new might be raising our hands. Some of us, it might be stepping out of our seat and coming to the front. For some of us, it might be going and talking to someone in this building. Whatever it is, God doesn't care what it looks like. He cares about the heart. And as we continue, as we continue, oh man. <laughs> Whatever God's telling you to do right now, do it. And his fire is going to fall. Yeah. Go. So I just had something click this morning. Um, Pastor Mark's talked about it for a long time, but just as I came in, I just, I didn't really feel, you know, the, the super awesomeness of God as I walked in. I Normally on Sundays I get up and I prepare my spirit to come here and prepare myself to you know, almost received from God. But just as I came in, it was taking me a while. It was taking me a while. And God's like, why are you here? And it just kind of clicked in my mind. Am I, am I here to wait for that amazing feeling? Am I here to get filled up by God? Or am I here to worship God? So there's a big difference. And don't get me wrong. Like, feeling God's presence is amazing. But can we worship God without feeling that? Can we come to church and worship God without getting to that place where, okay, now I feel God. The, this is a song that I love, so now I can worship God because I feel his presence. Can we just come? And doesn't matter where we're at, if we spent an hour in worship this morning already, if we were in pre-service prayer, or if we just rolled out of bed because we missed our alarm, can we just worship God with our whole hearts? I was just reading in Deuteronomy, worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And teach this to your kids day and night. And for me, a lot of times it's like, yeah, I need to prepare myself to worship God. But can we just live in a place where we worship God, whether we feel it or not? Whether we're offended, whether we feel sick. And I know it's hard. I know it's, for me too, it's tough when you're sick or somebody's offended you or you feel like somebody's doing something they shouldn't or we always look around, but can we just look at ourselves and go, why am I not worshiping God right now? God, what can I pour out to you right now that's going to be beautiful to you, whether I feel it or not, whether I feel your presence, because it's not about us getting filled up with him and feeling this amazing grace. It's about us realizing that Jesus did it already and that he just deserves it, he, whether we feel it or not. So I just encourage you on Sundays. I know Pastor Mark shares this all the time, but it just clicked with me. Whether you feel it or not, just press in and say, God, I just want to love you. I just want to love on you. I just want to love on you. I just want to pour out to you, God. So, Father, I just ask that in this body right now, that this body, Father, and not just this body, Lord, not just this building, 
but that your church, Father, would just have a heart, a heart to worship you. Lord, a heart of Joel to just fall down and worship you and, and weeping and, and, and fasting, God. I just ask for your spirit to come fresh on your body and your church, God, not just for Sunday mornings, Lord, but that your fire would fall on us out there, that we would love you with our hearts and our soul and our mind day and night, night and day, Lord, that we would live in your presence, Lord. And I know this is hard and it's, it's something we all know, but, but God, I ask that your Spirit, the living Spirit of God, would come and just fall on your church, on the Alliance Church, on North Point, on Millwoods, Penn, on Bethel, on churches in Australia and China, God, that your Spirit would just come and bring revelation, Lord, revelation of the prophets of old and of Paul and Peter, Lord, and just new revelations, God, of your Spirit, that it's not about us getting filled up, Lord, but it's us giving to you whatever we have, whether it's big or small, God. So, Father, we just bless you, and I thank you for this beautiful group of people here, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. We have, I'm excited, um, the teacher of the house this morning um, is going to come and share. Um, and so, Mr. Jim, he's known me since I was like a baby. Love it. Um, God, I bless this man of God. Um, I bless what his life represents and just the, uh, the testament of faithfulness. Um, with him and Galen, and God, I just pray uh, that as he speaks this morning, that you would pierce our hearts, um, that you would bring truth and life uh, and, and, and grace and, and forgiveness and all of those things that you are. Um, and so, God, I just pray that you would uh, pour out on him and his family this year. Um, and so, God, I pray that you would release everything you have for him and his family um, in 2019 and 2020 and beyond. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. This is something interesting happened here because I felt like I had, I, often when I speak, I have no idea what I'm going to be speaking about until like the day before, the night before, occasionally the morning of. It's a little bit um, nerve-wracking actually, to be honest. Uh, this time I felt I had some really good clarity for the last few days, most of the week actually, and I thought, great. And I really felt that we needed to dive in a little deeper to faith. Now, I've spoken on faith before and how we build faith and what, you know, what faith does. I really felt like we needed to dive in to faith, especially with what Pastor Mark spoke last week about reaching beyond the veil. And how, how does that happen? How do we even do that? How do we get there from here? And how all of this actually requires faith. And um, so I began yesterday sitting down and preparing some stuff and... I ended up actually back on the armor of God. So I said to Gaylene after I'd spent a few hours on this, I said, you know, really, I'm on the armor as opposed to just faith. I started with the shield of faith. That's, that, 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 that's how I went wrong here. And, um, and, and she said to me, well, that's what we dealt with at the ladies' retreat last week. I thought, okay, well, no wonder. So here, here we go. The ladies already all got this. Um, but I really felt 
that we would start with Ephesians 6. Uh, and I'm just going to read verses 10 to 20 first, and then, and then we'll start going through it together carefully. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Okay, let's get a little context here. Uh, There is a little bit of controversy out there in the, you know, all the theologian realm, etc. As to whether Paul personally wrote this letter or whether it was written, whether it was dictated and, and expanded a little bit. And whether the letter was specifically for the Ephesians or really it was meant to be a circular letter because he doesn't actually give names of various people and stuff like he does in many of his other letters. So this was something that Paul intended to go broad. He intended us all to be able to read this and to, to, to get this message. This wasn't specifically just for the Ephesian church. So that's one important point, is that this was a broad letter. Secondly, it was written at a time when Paul was in prison. He was imprisoned by Nero in Rome. Uh, not too long after this, actually, he was beheaded by Nero in Rome. And you notice, right from the word go... He says, our war is not against flesh and blood. And, and, I, and I have to say, and I'll get, I'll get into the details of this a little bit later, but I felt convicted right there. Paul is in prison in Rome under Nero. This is the same Paul who at this time also wrote, all authority is given by God. All those who are in authority are there because God has placed them there to do his good works. And he was in prison under Nero. Do you see him cursing Nero here? Do you see him railing about what a horrible person Nero is and how God is going to have to deal with Nero? It's not what he's doing. In fact, he's making it utterly clear. Our battle is not against Nero and the Romans. And we're going to have prayer for Alberta here on Wednesday night. And I got to tell you, our battle is not against specific political figures and parties. It is not. And we need to watch our language and we need to watch our hearts. Because those are actually people who need to be rescued by God and saved 
Okay? These are not people that we need to rail against and curse in our minds and in our hearts and in our words. So, um, that's for free. Okay. Has nothing to do with the armor. All right. So, as I began to study on the shield of faith, and there's a lot there, so we're going to deal with it last. But we look at the armor of God, and, and there's interesting thing here. There's four pieces of armor that you wear. And two pieces that you carry. And that will become important in a minute. The first one I'm going to talk about is the shoes. Which is peace. Peace. Look, you need shoes in a battle. Right? Can you imagine going into a battle without shoes on? How long are you going to last? Not very. You're going to step on something sharp. You're going to be hopping around. And you're going to be dead. Okay? So... You must have shoes in a battle. Um, Shoes aren't actually necessary if you're going to sit down and put your feet up. Right? We don't need shoes when we're sitting on the couch watching TV. That's not when we need our shoes. We need our shoes when we're out in the battle. And it's interesting that it says that the shoes enable us to take a stand. And where do we stand? We stand in peace. It's a very interesting thing. We stand in peace, not in turmoil. We're not all upset. We're not fussing. We're not worried about what the future is going to bring. We're not, right? I mean, the, the peace that we need, that the preparation of the gospel of Christ gives us peace. And so, The shoes of peace come from the the gospel, the good news about Jesus. When we know about Jesus, when we know what he did, when we know what our eternity is, we can have peace. I I, I recently read a a book. It's kind of a silly little book. Um, And it was, you know, I was doing airline travel, and and often I actually read fiction when I'm traveling. Um, It's kind of easy and light. And in this book, there was a guy who had... uh, Basically, he had gotten himself locked in the trunk of a car, okay? But, all of a sudden, another guy shows up and opens the trunk of the car. A friend of his shows up and opens the trunk of the car. And, he, and the friend says, well, I got a note from you saying to be here at this time so that I could let you out of the trunk of the car. And this guy realizes, aha, there's some time travel involved here, and he's eventually going to send a note back to this guy to say, let me out of the car so that the guy gets the note and lets him out at the right time. Got it? Kind of got the picture here. Anyway, you're at a point a few chapters later in the book, and this guy's in this precarious position, and he's about to fall to his death, and as he begins to fall, the author says, and suddenly... Because he's really, he's scrambling and trying not to fall. And then suddenly he smiles. Well, and, and, and he falls. And then they, they break. The next chapter comes in. It's about a different character. And you're thinking, what, 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 why, why, is he, why is he smiling? Here's what happened. He all of a sudden realized he hadn't sent the note back to the past yet to let himself out of the car. So clearly he was not going to die yet. Because the thing that he was still to do had not yet been done. But he knew it had to happen because the guy let him out of the car. Make sense? 
So where did his peace come from? His peace came from, he knew the end already. He already knew, I don't die here. It's okay. I'm not worried about it. I think of of, uh, the the book of of, um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Narnia. I don't know how many of you have ever read it, but C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of these things as really as prophetic pictures, okay? Uh, He was a man of God, and he wrote, you know, in in a fantasy genre, but but really as prophetic pictures. And there's this piece where, you know, Aslan, who is a type of Christ, really, Aslan, the lion, allows the white witch to kill him. And, And later he says, ah, but you see, she didn't know the deeper magic. So he had peace because he knew what was going to happen yet. The gospel, Jesus was able to go to the cross. In fact, Jesus did everything he could to make sure that they would kill him on the cross. Right? He only said that which was sure to get him killed. He refused to defend himself. He refused to have angels defend him, but he wouldn't even defend himself verbally against the lies and attacks. Why? Because he had to get to the cross. That was the whole point. But why was he able to do it? For the joy set before him. Why? Because he knew what else was going to happen. He knew what was yet to come. The gospel gives us peace because we know what's yet to come. We know the end from the beginning. Guess what, folks? We win. We win. So there's lots of stuff you got to go through, but you don't ever have to get tied up in knots about it. We can wear peace. We can stand in peace because we know the end from the beginning. Now, it's the preparation so it's readiness, right? Pre- we prepare, we, we're, we're ready. So the preparation piece, ready for what? Well, ready to stand. Ready to not be scared. So how do we prepare? You got to know the truth and you got to embrace the truth. So let's talk about the belt of truth here for a minute. We have to hold on to the truth of the promise of God. We have to hold on to God's truth. But you know what? That is only half of it. Um, We also have to live truthfully ourselves. We have to speak truthfully. We have to live truthfully. We can't use the enemy's tactics and expect God's results. Right? So the enemy uses deception and and, and all of those things. We actually can't do that. That's that's not the call of God. Um, If we don't embrace God's truth, then... We enter bondage because Jesus said it's the truth that sets us free. And interesting, when he said it, you know what the Pharisees said? Uh, And this has always been hilarious to me a little bit. The Pharisees said, what? What do you mean the truth sets us free? We've never been in bondage. Okay. At that very precise moment, who was running Israel? The Romans. (laughs) What were the Pharisees? Yeah. Well, we've never been in bondage. What do you mean the truth sets us free? Um, we're children of Abraham. And, and, you know, Jesus dealt with that, basically saying, I can raise up children, God can raise up children of Abraham from the stones. Like, this is, it's not about where you came from in your lineage, etc. The truth will set you free, and you need to understand the truth. This is one where I think we really need to have that preparation and be able to stand. 
Because today, our culture believes that truth is defined by what the majority likes. That defines truth in our culture. And increasingly, you're not allowed to disagree with it. And there was a time when we talked about free speech as, as one of the primary, most important things that made our nation great. Is that we could disagree about stuff and talk about stuff and we didn't all have to agree on everything. And, and, and you know, that, that's how our, our, our countries, Canada, the U.S., that's how they were established. And today, increasingly, if you disagree with somebody, you're called a hater. Just, just for disagreeing. And the problem is this. We have to stand on truth. We must take a stand for truth. And I got to tell you that it's a slippery slope when we start sort of apologizing for God because our culture doesn't like him. That's a slippery slope, and it takes us away from living in truth, okay? And, and, and I got to ask you, you know, we talk about the belt of truth. What's a belt for? So the rest of your clothes don't fall off. Right? If you don't want to be standing naked, you've got to have that belt. And so the belt of truth holds everything else together, actually. And it's very, very critical. I, I, I had a little example. I mean, I, I was reading something the other day again about a, a, a young girl, a junior high girl, I guess, who got sent home from school uh, for inappropriate dress. Okay? And, it, and of course... You know, the, the article is written in such a way that this is the most horrible, misogynist, chauvinistic, ridiculous thing that could possibly happen that some jerk teacher who's got issues has sent this girl home humiliating her uh, because she's inappropriately dressed. And what's his problem anyway? And I have to say that when you read it, you kind of feel like... You know, yeah, I mean, come on, guy. You know, I mean, that's sort of what the culture... It, and then you stop and you say to yourself, wait a minute. Actually, I should be praying for this young lady and for her parents and for her peers that they would actually get a revelation of purity. Let's take a look at what God has to say about modesty. Let's take a look at some of those things. Rather than going, well, that's just wrong. Well, wait a minute. No, our culture says that. But what does the word of God say? And can we stand in love? Can we stand? It's hard. It is really hard in our culture to take a stand. But I've got to tell you that standing, you know, you got the shoes. Got them on. These shoes are made for standing. (laughs) Okay. Should be a song. Be a lousy one. Okay. Um. So, if you fall into the majority rules trap, it actually leads away from God, and it usually results in removing the rest of the armor. You take the belt off, you end up taking off the rest of the armor. So, we need to be careful to be knowing the gospel, knowing the word of God, so that we don't begin to stray from it. Because as we stray from truth, i got to tell you, the rest of the armor comes off. And we are now open to all the darts, all of our, all the, the, the various things that the enemy wants to throw and his strategies um, just off of not standing on truth. And uh, in fact, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 to 12, it says, 
and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. The love of the truth that they might be saved. You actually have to have a love of the truth to be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God will send them strong delusion? Now, this, by the way, is an interesting point because it just lets you know that you can't argue the truth into somebody. The truth needs to be revealed because if they're under strong delusion that came from God, no amount of your arguing is going to actually make any difference. Wow, really? Yeah, really. You can argue all you want. Somebody who is under strong delusion from God is not going to is not going to be able to see what you're talking about. If you've ever had a discussion um, with somebody who is, you know, staunchly pro-choice about abortion, you begin to realize they're not hearing a word you say about life. They're not hearing it. They cannot. Which means that particular avenue is not effective. You're never going to argue somebody. You're never even going to show them pictures of dead babies or whatever it is and convince them Because they're under strong delusion, they will not see it. They need revelation from the Spirit of God. Okay? So, what we really, I didn't say we don't stand against those things. Don't get me wrong. I didn't say we just take a back seat. We are in a battle. We have armor for a reason. Okay? But the approach is never going to be, you know, because at some level you're combating the delusion that came from God. So, what you really want to do is ask God to remove the delusion first. We want to intercede. We want to pray. We want to ask for revelation. We want to ask for sight. Because someone who sees it suddenly can't not see it again. And suddenly they will be changed. The truth actually changes things all by itself. But they had pleasure in unrighteousness, it says. And isn't it interesting that then we have the breastplate that we buckle on our chest of righteousness. What is righteousness? It's a church word. It's like holiness. It's another church word. It's a word that those of us who grew up in the church have a picture of, sort of, and then everybody else doesn't even know what you're talking about. Um, how many of you would say, I don't really know what righteousness is? A few. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. It really just means right living, holy living, being separate from the world even while we're living in it. Look, let me, let me tell you something. Uh, let, let's look at who's the wisest man who ever lived. According to the Bible, Solomon. Did he mess up pretty good? He messed up pretty good. So, have you ever wondered why? You ever wondered how he got there? Well, here's the interesting little thing about this bit that we were just talking about when you know the end from the beginning. You still have to do the truth with it. So, Solomon knew that God had said, There will be a son of David on the throne forever. So he went, good, I'm good. We're set. God has said forever there will be a son of David on the throne, so I don't really have to worry about it. And so then he kind of went, so if some of my wives want to worship these other gods and I kind of go with them and I kind of do this with them, that should be okay. Like, there's going to be a son of David on the throne forever. God has set it in place. It's going to happen. It doesn't really matter. I can do whatever I want. So he messed up. Big time. He didn't enjoy it. 
the mess up. His son, Rehoboam, messed it up so bad that, you know, 10 of the tribes, Israel, got pulled away. He was left with only Judah and Benjamin. That's it. And so, you know, you're kind of going, wait, well, son of David on the throne forever. Well, yes, that's Jesus. And he's on the throne forever, and he's a son of David. Solomon didn't quite understand the, the, the way this picture was going to roll out. But I think he gave himself leeway to live unholy and unrighteous because he figured he knew what the end was. It's all good. I'm good anyway. And I'm, and I'm saying, mm, that's not quite how that works because there are consequences if we want to be protected from the schemes and strategies of the enemy Righteousness is one of the things we actually have to wear. Um, And I'm not talking about finding all sorts of rules. But Romans 6.1 says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So, do understand, this is something that God gives us the grace to be able to do, this righteous and holy living thing. This is not through gritting our teeth and trying so hard and constantly just behaving because if we succeed in that, it'll just produce pride, which will drive us away from God and... Okay, so the, the reality is God offers us the grace. He offers us the desire to do his word. He offers us the ability to do it. So when we want to do it and we can do it, then we will do it. And so it's his grace that allows us to live righteously. But it's still important. And then we come to the helmet, the helmet of salvation. This is where we're protected from the enemy's lies. Okay, the helmet covers our mind in effect, and it is a salvation. What does salvation mean really? It means, again, we'll go right back to that piece that we're standing on. It means the truth that Jesus Christ has already paid all of the penalty for your sin. What does that mean? It means when accusation comes, which would normally bring all sorts of guilt and condemnation and all sorts of horrible things, you don't have to receive it because you can say, yep. You're right. You don't have to fight the accusation. You can actually agree with it. So when the accusation comes, it says, ah, you messed up yet again, because it's always the yet again, right? It's the, you still haven't got this right. That's the one that really gets us, right? You know, one time we could probably excuse ourselves, but that thing that we've promised the Lord that we'll try not to do that ever again, and then we do it again, and then the condemnation comes on, But this is where the helmet of salvation comes in that says, you know what? That too, Jesus already paid for. That too. Oh, and the next time too, just so you know. It's already covered. So when the accusation comes, when the lie comes, when when the accusation against your brother comes, when you hear something negative about somebody in the church, this is all where that helmet can protect your mind from actually receiving it and, and, and embracing it, okay? You have to wear it, though. You have to be cognizant of it. You have to be aware. It has to be front and center in your thinking. And that's where the wearing comes in here. Remember I said four of the items are worn, 
and two of them are carried. The two that are carried, things that you carry, you can pick up and put down. Things that you wear, stay on. Make sense? When you're in the battle, the things that you wear... They've just got to be there. They have to be established. That belt is holding them together. They're just there. So when we talk about standing on the truth, when we talk about living righteously, when we talk about uh, having our, our minds protected, all of these, these various things that we are wearing, the belt of truth holds them on. Those are the things that have to be pre-established. You've got to have those decisions made before you get into the battle. You don't dress in the middle of the battle. The dressing happens at home before you go into the battle. If you're busy in the battle, reaching down, putting your shoes on, you're already dead. Right? If you're in the battle and you go, well, I should probably put my helmet on. You know, I don't know if you've, if you've seen a hockey game recently, but if a goalie's, goalie's mask comes off, bang, the play is stopped. Instantly, doesn't matter what's going on. If that mask comes off, that play stops. We do not allow goalies to get hit in the head with a puck without wearing a helmet, right? That's, that's the end of it. That helmet has to be on. You can't be putting it on in the middle of it. And that's why I say these things have to be established. You have to already know what's true, and you have to have decided for yourself that that's true. You have to have it established that that's true. There are things that you don't want to be thinking about in the middle of the battle. You don't want to be trying to figure out, is God really good? When something horrible has just happened. You have to know God is good. And so what I'm seeing in this horrible thing here, I'm just going to ask God to allow me to see it with his eyes and allow me to be part of praying about it or, or interceding through it or whatever it is. But it's established God is good. I'm not trying to figure it out in the middle of this. I can't. That has to be worn. It has to be on. Right? Does that make sense? All right. So then... There are things that we, well, what did I say here? Uh, okay, so we know we got the peace from the good news of Jesus and what he accomplished from us. We got the righteousness or right living, which is a commitment to obeying his word and his spirit. We have the salvation, which is the unearned gift from God. So it's not earned. So therefore, I can't lose it by, by messing it up. And we got truth, the belief that holds it all together. And then we have the things we carry. So, what do we carry? Well, we carry a a sword. And that sword is the word of God. Now, the sword is the most offensive, offense-wise. I don't mean offensive. It's the most offense-oriented weapon uh, of the the armor that we carry. Um, The other army is primarily defensive, but the word of God can be used to counterattack. Does that make sense? Now, it can be used to parry. It it can be used to stop an attack, but it can actually be used to carve our way through something, too. So we want to be really well-versed in using the word of God. And that is both the rhema word, the word that the spirit drops into your your spirit at at a point in time, the right now word that that is, is for this moment. And it is the written word that we should have a really good grasp of and a really good working knowledge of, again, well before we're in the middle of the battle trying to look up what the manual says. Anybody in a foxhole who can't figure out how to reload the gun and is busy going to the manual to try and figure it out is in trouble, right? That manual has to have been memorized. We've got to be able to do that thing 
with our eyes closed by that point in time. We want to be well-versed in the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. However, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Do not be using the sword of the Spirit against flesh and blood. Do not use the sword of the Spirit to condemn your neighbor. Do not use the sword of the Spirit. Do not use the Word of God to, to bludgeon somebody, to Bible thump them. That's not what it's for, okay? Sort of the, the sword of the Spirit. It's a spirit thing. So the Word of God is used to fight a spiritual battle against principalities and powers, not to slash around at our neighbors. Um, but we do get to carve our way through enemy ranks with the sword. And we can make room for others when we do that as well. And so, back to sort of my comment right at the beginning, the sort of the political comment. Really, we got to remember, we're not using the sword of the Spirit against the flesh. We're having to realize that these are people who actually need us to go to battle for them to rescue them. I mean, if they're under strong deception from God, right... Our job is to ask God to pull back that deception. Our God is to go to battle against the principalities that are controlling that thing so that they can, in fact, see. And, and you've and you got to understand that for a lot of folks, even, even folks from within the church, what ends up happening if they kind of put down the belt of truth and start taking off the armor is you, you end up with this sort of Stockholm Syndrome thing. Do you know what that is? That's... That started years ago um, because there was a, a kidnapping, and it was in Sweden, and so they ended up calling this thing Stockholm Syndrome. But there was a kidnapping, and eventually the person who was kidnapped began to make excuses for her captors. She began to actually side with them uh, along the way. And this, this is a common thing. This actually happens when people are captured by various groups or whatever, they often eventually start to see things in the light of, of the way that, you know, the captors are seeing them. And in this particular case, um, you know, in the, in the first case where it got named, you know, it was just utterly clear, too, that these, these people were right out to lunch and they were utterly mistreating um, this girl. But, but somehow, you know, it's, uh, it's a defense mechanism at some point. She came into alignment with them so that she could almost justify what they were doing to her. Um, we do this, okay? We, we begin to actually come into alignment with something when we're not standing on the truth. And so we, we really, again, want to know the truth, have that buckled on, have that all in place, and then, and then we got to remember it when we're dealing with others. So when we see someone who is off kilter, remember that we actually need to deal with the principalities and powers over that thing as opposed to with the individual, so I'm looking forward to Wednesday night. Um, and then finally, faith, which is where I actually started with all of this, so now I've got about 40 minutes. No. Um, it talks about the shield of faith. Now, it's interesting that the shield referred to in this passage, the word for shield is used precisely one place in the Bible. Right there. There are other shields all over the place. This is a very specific Greek word. It's a very specific kind of shield. It's about the size of a door. It's got four corners to it. And it is something that you hold up. It's buckled sort of on your arm. You hold it up. 
and you hide behind it, it is not actually for hand-to-hand combat. That's a small shield that you can, you know, hit somebody with that you can use, you know, very quickly. This is actually, the word for this shield is the kind of shield that a group uses together when they're going to knock over somebody's gates to their city. So there's people on the walls shooting arrows at you, and you have this shield, and you're just crouching behind it, and you're walking towards this thing, and it's getting peppered with arrows, okay? You've seen the Roman phalanx, right, where they, they get a whole group of people, and some are putting the shields over top, and some are, you know, and they create themselves a turtle shell, and away they go, the whole group of them, heads, and they've got the big battering ram to knock the gates over as well, and they get up there. This is what you use to take a city. So it's sort of like an O-line in football, right? It's, it's an offensive line. Like it's, an, it's, it's when you're on the offense, but what's their job primarily? Well, to protect the quarterback. So it's a protective, defensive, in the middle of an offensive play. Make sense? Okay, so that's what this shield is. This shield is the kind of defense you use in the middle of doing something on offense. We're going to take the city. The gates of hell will not prevail against the people of God. So as we're going, gates are defensive. You knock them over when you're trying to take something. So when it talks about the gates of hell will not prevail, it means we're going to go up to them and knock them over. Right? To free the captives. That's the idea that that Scripture is giving us there. And so you've got this, this shield And do you know, they actually soaked these shields in water. Because, obviously, they were were wooden and leather. So it was leather-covered wood. And they tried to make them light enough that somebody could carry them even when they were soaking wet. Because they would shoot fiery arrows at these shields. And if it was just leather and wood, it wouldn't last that long. Eventually, you'd be dropping said shield. So... They were soaked in water so that they wouldn't burn. In fact, the fiery darts would fizzle out. So, what does the enemy throw at us? What are the fiery darts of the enemy that our shield is supposed to extinguish? I'm going to tell you right now. Accusation, judgment, guilt. Accusation gets others. Temptation. All sorts of deceptions, all sorts of lies, all sorts of things to make you think differently than what the word of God would have you think. These are the fiery darts of the enemy, but guess what? We've got a shield. We've got something, but remember how I talked earlier about you wear the other things. They're just established. You've got to have them. They've got to be established. They've got to, you know. The shield of faith is something you pick up. Faith is different than knowing the truth. Faith is an ability to rely on God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So what does that really mean? Uh, There are translations that do say and hearing by the word of God, but most do not. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So what What are we talking about? No, I'm sorry. It's the other way around. It does have the by. And hearing by the word of God. So in other words, without the word of God, you can't even hear. 
Hearing comes by the word of God, and faith comes by hearing. Okay? Make sense? So, with the word of God in you, you gain the ability to hear. By hearing, you gain faith. And, I, and I've realized this along the way. You know, we, we talk about faith for, say, healing. And I've had to realize that in my own life, while I have prayed for healing uh, many times for various things, and I think sometimes we've seen healings, although uh, probably not of the sort of massive major variety where somebody's arm grows back or, or, or something that, you know, everybody would have to go, wow, that was so clearly supernatural. By the way, it's no harder for God to grow an arm back than it is to heal a headache. This is the thing about our God is that neither of those things has any effort to them. However, that said, we're impressed more by the one than the other, okay? <laughs> it has to do with what our capabilities are. And, and I know, though, that when I see somebody, you know, in a wheelchair and I think I would so love to see them healed, if God told me and I heard, go grab them and pull them out of the chair, if I actually heard that, I would do it. I've decided that along the way. You know, that's, that's one of those practice how you play thing. You play how you practice. Okay, in my mind, I've had this practiced. <laughs> if I hear from God on that, I'm going to do it. But how would I hear from God on that? Well, I've got to actually be in touch with him. I've got to be hearing about lots of things, likely, before I'm really going to hear the thing that would scare the liver out of me. <laughs> right? Uh, and yet, you watched Peter and John in the Bible do it. There's the lame guy by the gates, and they say, we don't have any silver or gold to give you, but here, what we do have, we will give you. And they pull him up to his feet. The guy's been lame from birth. They pull him up to his feet. If he doesn't get his legs healed, they are dragging him around. <laughs> Not an impressive testimony, right? But they heard. They knew this is what God wants to do in this moment. And so he's going to do it. And so their faith was built by having heard. So they could do this ridiculous thing. We've talked before about Gideon. Gideon's one of my favorite stories, right? Because he starts off, he's hiding in the dark in a, in a wine press, winnowing his grain. And he's doing it in the dark because when you winnow grain, of course, the chaff blows away in the wind. And if you do it in the daylight, people can see the chaff blowing. It looks like smoke, actually. People can see the chaff blowing and then they can come and kill you if they don't like what you're doing. So he's so scared of the Midianites that he's hiding in this grain press late at night in the dark, winnowing little bits of grain when God comes and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> and he goes, mighty man of valor. <laughs> and then God begins to build in Gideon the faith that he needs. He begins layering Thing upon thing, truth upon truth, experience upon experience, as Gideon's faith begins to build. So at the end of the story, he calls Gideon to do something truly stupid. I want you, there's 10,000 or 100,000 soldiers down there who all want to kill you, and they've heard of you. They know your name. They want to kill you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a trumpet in one hand so they can hear you clearly. And a torch in the other so they know exactly where you are. Now you've got both hands busy, so no swords or shields now. Now blow the trumpets. What? 
This makes no sense at all. This is a good way to get 300 guys killed. Instantly. Except, by now, God has allowed Gideon's faith to build and build, whether it's the fleece a couple of times, whether it's the, you know, at the bringing people in and sending them home, whether it's the actually coming down to the enemy camp and listening to an enemy soldier basically prophesy exactly what's going to happen here. All of these different things get built over a few years in Gideon's life where he's actually willing to do this truly ridiculously reckless thing that God has called him to do. And of course it works flawlessly because it's God's plan, not Gideon's plan. I don't recommend somebody come up with this plan on their own. (laughs) So, faith is built over time if we allow God to do it. Because Gideon did have to respond to the mighty man of valor comment. Gideon did have to allow this. He could actually have simply said, um, you have the wrong number. (laughs) And hung up. That was actually, I believe, an option. Uh, and then God would have had to find somebody else. And we'd have been reading about the somebody else instead. So maybe, he, maybe, maybe this happened to two or three people. Who knows? But I'm just saying, faith gets built over time. And uh, what we want to do is we want to be able to turn to faith at every time. That's the thing that protects us, actually. More than anything else is our, our belief in all those other things, in our belief that God is actually involved in our lives, leading and guiding every step of the way. Our God is infinite. Did you know that? Did you know that there's nothing too small that would just actually annoy him? See, our problem is we put ourselves onto God all the time. We, we make God just a big version of me. And, and it's, it's actually so wrong. Did you know that asking God which socks you should wear in the morning does not annoy him? He has infinite capacity. He has the capacity to deal with what socks you should wear in the morning without it sort of taking away from, look, we have some crises going on in Sudan right now. Could you just choose your own socks, please? That, that, that's, not, that's not where God's at. He, he is infinite. He is infinitely capable. He's infinitely aware. Uh, and he's infinitely patient, in fact. And so uh, we do, we've got to know in all cases that God is with us. He is leading. He is guiding. And that will build our faith. And, and James 1.3 says, The testing of faith produces patience. So we know that faith gets tested. Okay, so here's the uncomfortable part of the message. Um, Here's something I'd never seen before. I, d- I don't know why, but you know how it is. You read through scripture, and, and then you see something that you just never saw before. And partially this came out of a conversation I had with a brother of mine, too. So this, uh, and, I, and I realized, oh my goodness, I'd never seen this. Psalm 105, verse 17. So, it's talking about Joseph. Okay? And, uh, and for those of you... I think pretty well everybody would kind of know who Joseph is, right? The one who who had the dreams and then ended up going to Egypt, and and then they, you know, he interpreted Pharaoh's dream and then saved them from the seven years of famine that happened after the seven years of blah, 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 blah. Okay. So in Psalm 105, verse 17, it says, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, 
They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. So it says they put him in jail and they mistreated him. Got it? He's locked up in jail. And then it says this interesting little phrase in verse 19 that I had never seen before. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. What? So, God has given Joseph these dreams. He clearly knows that at some point, he's going to be in charge of some big things, and his family will be bowing down to him, and he will be some kind of big shot. Right? He's had the dreams. He knows this. It's the word of God, but it says that until it actually happened, that word was testing him. Whoa. So when God gives you a word, and it has not yet come to pass, do you know that it's testing you? And in Hebrews 11, it talks about all of these people who actually died without having seen the word come to pass, but because they held on to it in faith, they're recognized for it. So there you go. If you ever, ever have a promise from God... Don't ever let it get you down that you haven't seen it fulfilled yet because it, that actually is the test. The word itself is testing you. I had a, a little thing in my business years ago where uh, I actually received a prophetic word uh, over something that was going to happen in our business. And, and it had to do with signing a contract, and, and etc. I've actually, I think, testified about it here uh, years ago once before. It was... Uh, and, and, and the bottom line was we couldn't get to contract terms with a customer over the largest contract we would have ever signed as a company at that point in time. And we couldn't come to contract terms because they had some requirements around not paying us until the end of this thing. And it was many millions of dollars. And it was like, well, if they don't pay us till the end, we can't get to the end from here. And so we need to be able to find ways to get some progress payments, which they're they were a city, and so their bylaws didn't allow them to pay for anything that they didn't have fully working in production yet. And we're a software company, and so there's some things around you're not getting the value of it until the end. But we can't get there from here. And so they wanted our software, and they wanted our project, but we couldn't find a way to make it work. And so after weeks of working this through, I had given up. And then, actually in this building... Uh, we were doing the Curses to Blessings seminar, and we were doing a little prophetic piece at the end. And uh, my good friend Barry Rizel stood up, and Barry said, you know, I, have a, I have a word for Computronics, actually, which is my company. And I was like, okay. So amongst all these people in the room, there were a few people who were aware of Computronics. But he said, uh, so I just see a picture. I, I, I see wedding rings joined together just hanging there, two wedding rings linked together, and I believe the place is Dallas. That's all he said. I see wedding rings linked together, and I believe the place is Dallas. Well, this was the customer we were negotiating with. This was, and so I'm standing there. I was actually at the soundboard, and I'm thinking, what? Now, first of all, I've given up on this thing because I can't make it work. I can't figure out how we can make the financials work on this thing at all, and so I, I quit. Um, but secondly, that doesn't even... 
I see wedding rings and the place is Dallas. That's not even a meaningful phrase unless you know what I know. It's not meaningful to Barry. He didn't know what he, like, and the place is Dallas. What does that even, you know, so I'm sitting here going, so that was really way too specific to not be from the Lord, right? I mean, it's just like, what? So I'm standing at the board and I said, out loud actually, I said, Lord, I, I don't even know if I have the faith for this. But I feel like he gave me a word of wisdom at that moment. And I said, can you give me the faith? Within 30 seconds, 40 seconds, I believed it. Like solid, confirmed, this is going to happen. I know it's going to happen. So that, that was on Saturday. Sunday afternoon, I had to head out to, uh, to Portland for, for something. And I, and I picked up my business partner on the way. And I had, I, I told him about all of this. So I was like, okay, well, interesting. Okay, so we'll see how that goes. Monday, the guy who's negotiating the contract from our side calls Herman and I. We're actually taking a walk by the Willamette River in, 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 uh, in Portland. And, uh, and he says, yeah, it all fell apart today. And the Dallas guys have given up too. And they're going to look at plan B. And so I said, hey, Keith, don't sweat it. It's all good. It's going to work. And he said, what are you babbling about? You gave up last week. (laughs) And I said, yeah, but now I have a word. Okay, now I have a word. So then I called Gaylene, uh, I think on Tuesday, we're talking and and I said to her, so it's kind of weird, you know, because we got the word on Saturday, and then it all, all the wheels just came off. And Gaylene says to me, well, yeah. I mean, what good's the word if it isn't tested? <laughs> and I said, gee, thanks. That's very reassuring. <laughs> and, and Herman says to me, that's one smart wife you've got there. Anyway, so this is... Uh, is what happened. I, I, eventually, uh, Herman and I ended up coming back a little early from this thing we were at, and, and uh, it was Thursday afternoon, and I, I, I re-looked at the thing, and all of a sudden realized there was a way to structure the deal completely differently um, that had actually been available, like, already. Something had changed about four weeks before with we were working with EDC, uh, Export Development Canada, and, and various things, and all of a sudden I realized that because of some feature, something that they were able to do, we could just turn this whole thing around very differently, and we could make it all work, and so, but, I mean, it was a flash of insight, right? It was this, but remember, I wouldn't have been thinking about it without the word, the insight wouldn't have had anywhere to go because <laughs> I was shut off on this thing. But then we had the word. So now we have somebody available for the insight. The insight came. We signed the deal and have been working with Dallas for almost 20 years now. Okay? So I'm, I'm just saying, you know, this, this, this level of faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and the fact that the word gets tested. In fact, it says the word was testing him. The word was testing Joseph. It was in his mind. He's sitting here thinking, but God, you said, but you said, did I get that wrong? Like, was I not paying attention properly? You know, because that's what happens. Well, maybe he didn't say. Maybe, 
Maybe I was just making it up. Maybe I was a kid and I was all proud and arrogant and my dad loved me more than my brothers. And so I, you know, the word was testing him. And yet when he held on to it, it brought complete release eventually for Israel. I mean, they lived through the famine, first of all, a very important thing. So I do want to kind of, be clear here as well, though, that real faith only works as a shield when we don't drop it. Okay? So if we look at Jude, most good sermons come out of Jude. <laughs> really? Okay. Jude 3 and 4. Jude only has one chapter, so it's just verses. Okay. Dear friends, I'd been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And then kick over to verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit... Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So, there is a praying in the spirit part. Even if we go back to Ephesians, right back at the beginning here, right after it says, and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, it says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. There is a peace around how you build faith that that, that requires this praying in the spirit thing. Now, praying in the spirit isn't just praying in tongues, okay? Although that is significantly uh, a very valid and important part of, of, of how we can do that. But praying in the spirit is praying as led by our spirit. And our spirit is in communion with the Holy Spirit, so it really becomes praying as led by the Holy Spirit. And often our minds get in the way, which is where praying in tongues really helps, because it cuts through what our minds know how to do first and gets us past that so our spirit can begin to take preeminence over our minds. And often then our minds will, will come into alignment. So just notice that that praying in the spirit piece is a very important part of establishing faith. If you want to see beyond the veil, be praying in the spirit. Uh, so back, yeah, in, 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 in Ephesians, then, we did see all of the things about holding up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil, put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit at all times. Um, so, when you're challenged, when you're unsure, when you're feeling guilty, when you're feeling attacked, pray in the Spirit. Just right away. You don't know what to say. I don't know. I just feel so horrible. Great. You don't know what to say? Pray in the Spirit. Okay? Well, for how long? I don't know. Till the attack's over. Right? You hold up the shield. How long? It's heavy. Well, until they stop throwing fiery darts at you, maybe. Right? So... Well, what if it takes an hour and a half? Uh Uh-huh. What if it takes three weeks? Okay? But I am telling you, 
That is the most effective thing when it starts. When an attack starts, as soon as you, as soon as you notice that something's off, remember, how do you know? Well, are you having trouble standing in peace? Is the peace gone? Okay, we are called to stand in peace. If I'm having trouble standing in peace, start praying in the Spirit. Right? Let's get that shield of faith up. Let's get that faith built so that we're, we're, we're picking up the fiery darts and extinguishing them before they hurt us. Or the people around us. Remember how big this shield is. Actually, multiple people can actually crowd behind a single person's shield in many cases. Now, we want all to have a shield, but you can actually help protect others with your faith. So, we can all study what can be done by faith. So, here's my challenge for you. The Jim Denotter assignment. Kayleen's so happy I haven't been giving assignments recently. Read Hebrews 11. Okay? This week at home, read Hebrews 11 at least once, if not more. Faith is the thing that allows us to reach beyond the veil. It's the thing that allows us to start participating with what God wants to do in the earth. And so we want to build that faith. We want to, we want to have that faith. We want to be protected from all those things because they're just a distraction at the end of the day. And if you've got the d- darts funking into the shield, then you're not distracted. The shield's doing It's so big. It's doing its thing. You're not moving it around. You're not waving it. You're just steady behind it. Again, you know, the, the thing I was reading says it's the size of a door. We're talking about a big thing that's in front of you, so now you don't have to be thinking about how to deal with it. And that's what our faith does for us um, as we immediately turn to God and immediately begin to ask him for the faith that we need for whatever's coming. Amen. We'll just ask the Lord to to seal this up, and we'll we'll uh, dismiss. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you've provided everything that we need to thrive in your kingdom. That we are not uh, beggars and that we are not little ones cowering in the corner, but that we are mighty warriors and we are victorious with you. Lord, we thank you for providing all of the armor that we need, both defense and offense. And Lord, I pray that this week we would be putting into practice these things, that we would quickly begin to ask you to build our faith in each situation, that we would quickly turn to you in prayer. Um, and Lord, just, just convince us in our own hearts as well. Let us know the truth. Let us have it established so that things aren't falling off. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.